There we go. So, um, we're continuing our series on Ephesians. We've actually skipped a little bit of a passage in Ephesians chapter 3, which we are going to come back to. Uh, there is reason for that, um, which you can work out for yourselves. I'm not going to tell you what it is, um, but uh, you can figure it out. Uh, actually, it's basically because we need to do some slightly shorter talks at a later stage, and that one is a good opportunity for a slightly shorter talk. So that is the reason. But we're cracking on with Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to start by asking you this question. If you could put yourself in one camp or the other, are you a dreamer or are you a pragmatist? So if you are a dreamer, you might be one of those people who just loves, you know, those big ideas, the big thoughts, the eternal themes of life, to dream and to imagine. But if someone asks you to uh, start thinking about, you know, the details and making a few things happen and the reality, you just get a little bit sort of weary and heavy. It doesn't quite give you life if you need to think about what it means to turn it into reality. Maybe you're one of those. Maybe you're a dreamer. Or maybe you're one of those people who's just grounded in the present. And when someone shares a big idea with you, the first thing you start thinking about is, well, how on earth are we going to make that happen? What are the obstacles? What are the things in the way? What are the details that need to be moved in order to achieve? And sometimes... You may get a little frustrated with the people with the big ideas because you just think they just aren't grounded in reality. They don't know how much it takes to actually make this stuff happen. Now, I, um, I'm not sure where I sit in this, but I'll tell you a story and you can decide for yourselves. Um, a few years ago, I'd been doing a bit of cycling. And I don't know why I had this idea, but for some reason, I thought it would be brilliant to cycle from England to Africa. And it wasn't just a question of going and cycling, you know, from Southampton to Dover and then getting the Channel Tunnel or the ferry and then getting to Gibraltar and then getting a ferry across. I thought, wouldn't it be amazing to cycle the whole thing? Was there a way that you could actually take your bike and put it on some sort of pedalo device and, and cycle across the channel? And then when you got to the other end, you got to Gibraltar, you could cycle across the Straits of Gibraltar and end up in Africa. And wouldn't this be amazing because you could raise loads of money for you know, our, our friends out in Kibera or, 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 or New Life Homes out in Nairobi? It wouldn't be a great thing to do. And you could get this media coverage. We could raise loads of money. And for about two weeks, I thought this was an amazing idea. I dreamed it. I imagined it. I just enjoyed the adventure of it all. And I did a tiny bit of kind of looking on the internet to try and figure out, was there some sort of contraption you could fit on your, device, on your bike to make it float and then pedal across? And I couldn't really find anything. And, then gra and I actually told some of my friends about it. That's how far I went. I remember being in Trago Lounge with a few friends and talking about this idea and them looking slightly bemused. But after about two weeks of having this wonderful idea and dream, I started to think about how it could actually happen. What would be required to put this plan into action? And as I did, I just started to feel a little bit weary and a little bit crestfallen. And as you can imagine, um, needless to say, it didn't actually happen. Because there was a difference between the dream and the reality of what it would take to make that thing happen. All the details, all the logistics, all of the working out. And so you may be a dreamer. I think maybe I'm slightly in that camp on days. I do. I can do some of the detail stuff, can I, Sarah? 
but there are people who are far better at it than me. Or maybe you are the more practical, pragmatic type. And it's good job that we are different because we need all of us, don't we? We need those who dream dreams, we need those who can make those dreams happen, and we need all sorts of people in between. And maybe on different days you take on a different role. But here we come to Ephesians. And the first three chapters up to this point, Paul has been talking about God's cosmic plan for his people. So we've heard already over recent weeks that Paul has talked about the spiritual blessings that we all have in Christ, how we've been made alive in Christ, that we're now one with him. He's shown us God's mysterious plan to create one new unified people out of Jews and Gentiles, this wonderful, mysterious thing that is the church, in order to display his wisdom to the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And it is a wonderfully immense cosmic picture of truth and reality. And it's like we're standing on a beautiful starlit night and we're looking up at the stars and we can see the heavens and the cosmos and the, the, uh, the galaxies and the moon and the stars and the planets just looking and enjoying all of this vast wonder. And then in chapter 4, it's as though Paul takes our heads and turns them from looking up at the heavens and the wonderful things God has done in the heavenly realms, and just moves our head to look down at the ground, at the dirt, at the reality, at some of the mess of life that we see around us. To turn from the majesty of God's heavenly plan, to start looking at what is the actual reality of outworking that and living that, the challenge of bringing that plan into the everyday and the ordinary. And Ephesians 4, the first part, verses 1 to 16 that we're looking at today is is this pivot passage that pivots between this great grand plan of God's and the reality of what he's done in the heavenly realms and what that means for us. Um, And then later on in the book, he starts to talk about actually how does it work? What is the practical instruction for living together as children of light in light of this truth and reality at the cosmic level um, in specific situations and in our daily relationships? And he starts this chapter by begging, literally begging. Paul writes this, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Paul is begging us to lead a life worthy of our calling. Now, every single one of us who has chosen to follow Jesus has been called. You've been called. I've been called. But what is your calling? What is my now, this is something that often causes a lot of consternation amongst Christians, asking, well, what is my calling? Am I, am I called to the church? Am I called to business? And am I called to education? I'm called to medicine? I'm called to serving my family or my local community? And people can get tied up in knots, going, well, what is my calling? What has God asked for me specifically to do? But regardless of where God is leading us to outwork our calling, and that is something that we all can spend time working out, we've actually all been called to the same thing. What we have all, each one of us, been called to 
is to be a functioning part of the body of Christ, the church, and to be a part of God's salvation plan to the world. That is to partner with him and build his kingdom. That is the calling on each of our lives. Now, when we became a Christian, God gave us rights and privileges and honor. We heard about that in Ephesians chapter 1. He adopted us as his son or his daughter. He granted us the riches of his glorious inheritance. He made available to us every spiritual blessing in Christ. And Paul here says in this passage, he says, live a life that honors and acknowledges the truth and the reality of who God has made you to be. You are his son or his daughter. You have been given his identity. You've been given his authority and everything that you need to live a life that radiates the goodness and the love and the compassion of Jesus. So make sure you live like it. Make God's priorities your priorities. Do all you can to become like Jesus. Love God, love your neighbor, and make Jesus known. That's what Paul is calling us all to. This is the calling on every single one of us, regardless of the sphere in which we live it out. Paul then goes on, verse 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. Paul says that your calling, my calling, should be at its most evident as we work out life together as believers, as part of the church community. Because Christ has unified us through his death on the cross. The number of times it talks about one in that passage and unity. As Flora taught us last week, we, have been, we were outsiders and now we've been brought in to be a part of the people of God, one with each other. Which means that the spirit of God that is in me is in you. Every single one of you who is a follower of Jesus has the same spirit of God living in you as in me. We together are one. That's the eternal reality. That's the cosmic picture, the wonderful truth that now sits at the center of the universe. As we stand from a distance and marvel at what God has done. But we all know, don't we, that when we look a little bit closer, down in the dirt, at the reality, the pragmatist will say, actually each of us, we are a bunch of broken and frail and often hurting people. That's who we are. That is our humanity. No matter how much we like to look like we've got it together on the outside. And Mike reminded us of that this morning in that video. All of us are on a journey, aren't we? To become more like Jesus. And for, for many of us, we are a little bit more like Jesus now than we were last year. But if you are anything like me, we still have a really long way to go. And Paul acknowledges this after talking about this wonderful, 
picture of what God has done. He acknowledges this. That's why he tells us to say, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. We are one because of what Christ has done. But it is the responsibility of each one of us to guard that unity preciously. When we're rubbed up the wrong way, or we see things differently, or we disagree, or we just get plain irritated. Hands up if you've ever been irritated by someone else in church. There we go. It's not just me. There are some beautifully peaceful and Jesus-like people here who didn't put their hands up, so we need to learn from you. But it's hard, isn't it? We're a bunch of people who are trying our best to love Jesus, and we're different, and we rub each other up the wrong way. But when that happens, we are called to choose love over offense. But whilst God called us to unity, he didn't call us to uniformity. Verse 7. However, he, that is God, has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. We each have a unique gifting. And if we jump to another book, to Romans 12, again written by Paul, Paul explains this in more detail here. Romans chapter 12 Verse 4, just as our bodies have many parts, each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. We each, every single one of us in this room and those who are part of this church who aren't in this room, we each have gifts that are vital for the body, for the church, the whole. And if we're to grow in the fullness of what Christ has called us as a church, we need everyone to bring their gifts to the table and to play their part. Paul tells us as well that God has given the church some very specific gifts to help us draw out the best of all the other gifts. So, verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So there's that list. Apostles, prophets, um, uh, evangelists, pastors, which is sometimes translated shepherds, and teachers. So let's take very briefly each one of them. The apostle. What is the apostle? The apostle are the pioneers, those who establish and extend the work of the church and the kingdom into new spheres. And we see that, don't we, when you look at Paul traveling and establishing the work of the church and the kingdom in new areas. Then there are the prophets. They're the seers. Those who sense what God is doing and saying, and they share it for the benefit of the church and the kingdom. Then the evangelists. Those with God-given passion and gifting to tell others and share the good news of Jesus in effective ways that bring about change and also to help others gain confidence in doing that themselves. 
There are the pastors or the shepherds, those who are gifted to nurture and care and protect those in the church and beyond and equip them to live Christ-centered lives. And then the teachers, those gifted to draw out the truths of Scripture and communicate them in ways that challenge and encourage and inspire us as followers of Jesus. They're each different gifts and different skills. But if together, uh, but together they're vital if we are to live a life worthy of our calling. And as a church, as a body, become the fullness of what God's created us to be. Interestingly, Jesus was all of those things in one. If you look at his ministry, you can see those moments when he was acting and, and bringing out those different aspects in different ways. But none of us is Jesus. And not, none of us carry all five of those in one individual, which is why we need each other. And these gifts have been given very specifically, as Paul says, to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. To equip God's people, that's us. Because every single one of us is called both to do God's work and to build up the church. So what does it mean to do God's work? Let's look at those two phrases. To do God's work and to build up the church. What does it mean to do God's work? I believe it means that we represent his heart to carry his love and truth into the world around us. Partnering with him to see his kingdom come and his will be done in Southampton and beyond. So that's in our homes, in our streets, in our neighborhoods, in our places of education, our hospitals and businesses, in government and places of leisure and entertainment and anywhere we find ourselves to carry his life and his kingdom out beyond this body. So what does it mean when it says that we're called to also build up the church? It means that we are to maintain the health of the church, to see this community and the church across our city flourish and thrive as we increasingly give ourselves to Christ and to one another. It means serving one another practically and spiritually and creatively. It means praying and worshipping together. It's getting alongside those who need encouragement and who need nurturing. It's using our spiritual gifts such as prophecy and wisdom and healing to minister to one another. It's stepping up to lead with servant hearts. It's giving of our time and of our money to support all we do together. And it's being present when we gather together each week. Now, um, there are people here who've been in this church for many, many years who are right here at the very start and have journeyed through nearly 50 years. This church will be 50 years old in 2025, uh, the same year that this building is 100 years old. So we will be celebrating both those things in a few years. But my understanding, I joined the church in the sort of mid-90s, came here as a student and stuck around all those years. But my understanding was in the early days of the church, the focus was very much on building up the church which was vital at the time because the church was being established and needed that focus and that attention given. So there was great emphasis on serving into the body. And I understand, for example, that being a home group leader was a great honor that many people aspired to. Um, I see Phil nodding and agreeing over there. It's good. Got my research right. Um, and that for many also aspired to become full-time church leaders in order to serve God. But I'm also aware that many people became so busy with 
church and church activities, they had little time to spend with neighbours and colleagues and friends or serving the city. So then in the sort of mid-90s to early 2000s, um, the emphasis shifted, increasingly compelling us to serve God in the world beyond the church. And this was important too because God's heart is so immense and full for the people of our city and the people around who haven't yet been reached and impacted by the church. The focus was on serving God through our vocation and in our neighborhood, serving God in business or medicine or our local community. And that was recognized as important as aspiring to uh, be a, a church leader, to serve him within the church. And it was a vitally important readjustment. But with it, we lost some of the focus on building up the church. The call of God was outside the church, not so much in it. From everyone wanting to become a house group lead, actually it became increasingly hard to find anyone who was willing to lead a connect group. And we're very grateful for those who have stepped up and done that over the years. And the reality, however, as Paul shows us here, is that we need both. And I believe as pendulums often swing in movements one way and the other, there is a sense that God is calling us back to somewhere in the middle. That is, it is vital to build up the church. And it is vital that we do God's work in the world. And we can't do one without the other. Both are vitally important for the flourishing of the church and for the extension of the kingdom. It should be a great aspiration to be a connect group leader. And it should also be a great aspiration to be a scout group leader. It should be a great aspiration to serve God wholeheartedly in business and in medicine or whatever field God's called you to. And it should also be a great aspiration to serve God as a church leader. We are all called to serve God both in the church and in the world. And depending on where your gifts lie and where God has placed you, some will spend more time building up the church and others will spend more time serving God in the world. And that is okay. We're all created uniquely. But we are all called to do both in some measure. And it's that five, those five-fold gifts the apostle and prophet and evangelist and pastor and teacher that are given to the church to equip the body of people, the body of, of Christ, us, to serve God in both of those areas. So what does it look like when the fivefold gifts are functioning effectively, operating as they should, and equipping God's people to do his work in the world and to build up the church? Paul tells us what it will look like, what the results are, what the goal is in verse 13 and onwards it says this it's so that we will all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ then we will no longer be immature like children we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth instead we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. 
It helps the others grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. It takes every single one of us to play our part if we are to see the body healthy and growing and full of love and building his kingdom. So, question, two questions. What is the part that God is asking you to play in his holy community, the church, as you serve him in the world and build up the church? And secondly, what do you need in order to play your part effectively? Now, we as a leadership team uh, took some time away at the start of the year. Um, Second week in the year, we went away for two days. And it was really good to get away. We got away down to Dorset. It was a little bit cold, um, but stayed in an Airbnb and got time to spend time seeking God, praying together, looking ahead to the year ahead. And what was wonderful, we hadn't planned it this way, but the timing of our three-month season of prayer, and um, we had the last of our, our monthly prayer nights on the Thursday just before we went. So we took with us, do you remember the prayer boards, the boards with all the words and pictures and so so on? We took every single thing off that, we took it with us, and between us as a team, we read every single thing that had been written or drawn, um, and we we, we prayed over it, and we allow God to speak to us as we read your contributions, what God had been saying through all of us. Um, and it's a pattern I think we're going to follow next year because it was so helpful to hear from the church what God was saying to the church and then for us to take it away as a leadership team. And we were asking God, what are the key things that you're bringing out of this? What are the priorities that you are giving us for the year ahead? And what came out really clear, there were a number of key things, but principally was this it was that this next season needs to be a time of equipping and there was a real sense and several words that were saying very specifically about the fact that every single one of us needs to play our part and needs to find our place if we are to see God do all that he has for us together and the equipping and this particular passage was absolutely key to do that So our priority, our key priority as a church going through in 2023 is to focus intentionally on how we equip the church, how we equip all of us to do God's work and to build up the church so that we can all play our part to the best of our ability. And if the vision of New Community Church is this, to see the whole church following the way of Jesus, making disciples and bringing life and transformation to every area of Southampton and beyond, then the mandate of the church leadership needs to be this, to equip the whole church to follow the way of Jesus, make disciples and bring life and transformation to every area of Southampton and beyond. And we're going to be sharing on the 30th of March, we're going to have an evening together, there'll be more details coming out where we get a chance to feedback and share a bit of the roadmap and the plan that we have for the year ahead. So uh, 30 March, put it in your diaries, we'll give you more information soon. Because the reality is, enthusiasm only gets us so far on the path towards living a life worthy of our calling, of being all that God has created us to be. We need to be equipped if we are to flourish and grow and ultimately become like Jesus. So if I wanted to climb Everest, another of my dreams, I don't know if I do want to climb Everest, it seems pretty dangerous, a lot of people die. But it would be quite epic, wouldn't it, be to stand on the summit briefly. 
and be able to say that you've been there. But let's imagine I want to climb Everest. If I just wander along, turn up Everest Base Camp in my flip-flops and a whole load of enthusiasm, I'm not going to get very far, am I? I'm probably going to get frostbitten toes and altitude sickness and be flown off in a helicopter if I'm lucky. The reality is if I want to climb Everest, I need to be equipped in a whole number of ways. Firstly, I probably need some teaching, probably some classroom time in reality to understand how I, at the roots, how I understand the weather, the time of year to go, the kind of food and nutrition I'm likely to need, how to avoid hypoxia due to the thinness of the air and the lack of oxygen. I'm going to need that kind of teaching element. I'm going to need equipment, aren't I? I'm going to need more than flip-flops. I'm going to need some proper walking, climbing boots. Probably not the sort of thing you get out from go outdoors, something slightly better than that. I'm going to need warm clothes. I'm going to need crampons and ice axes and all those many things. I'm also going to need some practical training because I need to know how to use the equipment. I need to know how to climb on ice. I now need to know how to work with crampons. I need to know how to use my ice axe if I start to slide down the mountain so I can put it in and arrest my fall. I'm going to need a team because you can't climb Everest on your own. And once I'm on the mountain, I'm going to need a guide. The team is going to need guides. Someone who's been there before knows the route and helped me along my way, the Sherpa. So with this theoretical knowledge, good equipment, special training, and a team around me, and someone to guide me on the mountain, I stand a reasonable chance of reaching the summit, or at least not falling off the mountain. And so it is for us, as we climb towards the fullness that Christ has for us and has called us to be as individuals and a community. We need equipping through teaching, that is understanding the scriptures and prayer and the teachings of Jesus and how to walk in ways that are spiritually and emotionally healthy, what it means to belong to a body, the church. We need equipment. Let's think of those as practices, some of those daily and regular practices of prayer and reading scripture and worship and silence and solitude. In our life, we're going to need training, practical training. That's the op- opportunity to practice serving and leading and loving people, whether being part of a team on a Sunday morning or stepping out with the evangelism guys who go out into the park or serving in the warm space or praying together with a bunch of colleagues. We need team, we need community around us to be part of a team, part of a smaller community, a connect group or a pattern group to journey together. And we need guides. We need those who are older and wiser, who've journeyed ahead and guide us through when the going gets tough. And as we're equipped, as Paul tells us in the passage, we're able to understand who we are and who God is. We don't get thrown off balance by every new idea that appears on the horizon or on Facebook or on some podcast. We can boldly and confidently serve God with the gifts he has given us both outside and inside the church. And it's the gifting of the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers that equip us as the church, individually and corporately, to set foot on the mountain and climb with a reasonable chance of reaching the summit. So how do we know when we've reached the summit? What does it look like? Paul tells us, in verse 16, that when we arrive, it will look like this. We all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete 
standard of Christ. Dr. Mark Roberts describes the full and complete standard of Christ in this way. It is the church fully saturated with Christ, fully relating to Christ, fully embodying Christ's presence in the world. The fullness of Christ is the church actually being all that God intends it to be. The people of God together, fully alive and flourishing, fully like Christ. This kind of church will both proclaim and embody the gospel. This kind of church will demonstrate the unity Christ has forged through the cross. This kind of church will reach out with love and light to the world. This kind of church won't just talk about Jesus, but will be Jesus in every time and every place. That's the kind of church I want to invest my life in. And that's the kind of church that God is calling us to be. So I want to leave you before I briefly pray with those two questions I asked earlier. What is the part that God is asking you to play in his holy community, the church? As you serve him in the world and build up the church. And what do you need in order to play your part effectively? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have called us, not just into relationship with you, Jesus, but in coming to know you, you have called us to be part of this wonderful body that is the church. We recognize that here at New Community, we're just one tiny component of your church in the city and your church in the world. But we thank you that you join us into this body. And we recognize that you have called us to serve you in the world around us, and you have called us to build up the church. Lord, would you increase our love for one another? Would you increase our love for those around us out in the world who don't know you yet? Lord, would you draw us together in love and in unity? You show each one of us what is the part that you have for us to play. Because everyone has a part to play. Thank you, Father.